Hello and welcome to the WordPress Chick Podcast. Brought to you by the WPChick.com. WordPress explained for those of us who get headaches when we hear words like PHP and functions, but want to make money with their WordPress sites. No boring code snippets here. Just WordPress happiness made easy. Now, here's your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the WordPress Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. Welcome to episode 56. Awesome interview for you today. Of course, they're all awesome, right? And I mean the interviews because my guests are awesome. Talk about a killer story, though. I, yeah, I literally just use the word killer. But, you know, if you've ever been in that place of feeling frustrated that, you know what, I, I've got this really short window left to make this work, otherwise it's job time, then this is the interview for you. I, today, I've got Dan Norris of WP Curve on, and what a story, you know, being down to that last that last little window that you've given yourself of if if I can't make some work or bring in some money, it's time to move on to what has become this phenomenon of WP Curve, a million dollar business in 18 months. It's just a great story. Great guy. I just I could have talked to him forever. Be sure to check out his books too. Well, his book is a seven day startup, which was fantastic. Of course, I went and grabbed that immediately after the interview. And he's working on another one, but you're gonna have to listen to the interview to hear all about that. So enjoy the interview. This is Dan Norris of WP Curve. Before we jump into WP Curve and all the awesomeness that that has become, can you fill us in a little bit on your background and what you were doing before you launched this? Yeah, I ran a, a web agency for six years, uh, not very successfully. <laughs> um, and then I sort of like m- m- more like a just me building websites and then I hired one or two people. Um, and then I sold that and worked for a year on an analytics startup, which failed even more miserably. And then I launched WP Curve about 19 months ago. Wow. So that's been kind of a little journey here. It's interesting how many people I think within WordPress or that have WordPress businesses, it's they go the route of designer, developer, agency, whatever, and, and then they kind of find their sweet spot. But that's, I mean, it's pretty impressive that you've had some challenges and stuck with it till uh, to launch this. What about, um, can you fill us in a little bit about Alex, your partner? What was he doing before you guys came together to launch this? Yeah, well, I launched WP Curve by myself, and then I kind of committed to having like a 24-7 type business and I knew how to hire people on this side of the world and I didn't really know anything about how I would hire people on the other side of the world or how I would run a business, a US company over and you know, operating in US time zone when I was in Australia and had no intention of going there. Um, and he, he kind of came along. He was one of the re- readers of my blog and he was over there. He had a bit of free time. He started doing a bit of free work for me and then we just decided to go in together. I actually didn't meet him until October last year, probably like 18 months, or maybe like 16 months after we started WP Curve. That was the first time you guys met in person. Yeah. That's pretty awesome, though. It's kind of a testament to being able to have an online business, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, we were, we would, I think we were doing, oh, I can't even remember, probably like 40 grand a month and probably like 20 staff or something. All, all from never having met. That's great. Yeah. So fill me in on, on launching WP Curve and, and what brought you to that place where you're like, this is exactly what the, what the community needs. This is what people are looking for. How did you come up with that? Well, I didn't know that until after I launched. I, beforehand, I was just sort of in a desperate situation where I had to do something because I, my other company was failing and I didn't want to get a job. And so I sent an email to my list and told them to sign up for this service that didn't exist. Well, I mean, it did exist, but um, I kind of just created it. I had one developer with me and 
we were going to support clients. He was going to do it in the sort of Asian time zone, and if if need be, I was going to try and do it in the middle of the night for me, which would have been the other time zone. Um, and yeah, and there's email people, and I had a bunch of people sign up. I think I had ten sign ups in the first week, and then we've had that many sign ups every week since. Oh my god! You know what? I just realized too. I should probably ask you to explain for those people listening who don't know what WP Curve is. Uh, can you explain to everybody what WP Curve is and what kind of service you guys provide? Yeah, it's just a monthly fee for a, a um, web developer to do unlimited small jobs on your WordPress site. So at the at the time, I think it was it might have been like fifty nine dollars a month or something, and unlimited thirty minute jobs. And I had one developer, and and now nineteen months on, it's it's a little bit more expensive, but it's more or less the same thing. And we've got a team of uh, 35 people in seven countries and uh, 830 customers or thereabouts. Holy moly! Okay, so in in starting this, once you started, once you realized, okay, you know, that you got you have 10 people that jump on and and they love this idea. Did you did you quickly grasp, wow, I've got something here? Yeah, I, I mean, I I was really really excited because I I worked for the previous year on my other business and, and it had exactly this, the same monthly revenue as WP Curve did after one week, which was not much, but it was enough to give me the confidence that I was onto something. Yeah. Anytime you can do something in a week that takes you a month, it's like, okay, this is totally worth pursuing. Well, the, the, I, I think it's always hard to get people to sign up for anything. And so to get 10 people in a week, and then I think it was about 20 in a month and I could just see that it was growing and like a month on month, it was growing. And as soon as you have a situation where you've got a business that can grow month on month, it, it's, you know, it sort of feels like it takes a long time. But really, if you, if you can grow 10% a month from $500 a month, you're going to be a million dollar company within 18 months. And that's, that's more or less what happened. Oh, my God. All right. So fill me in a little bit on the scaling of this. I mean, with that kind of growth, I mean, were you just looking for developers as quickly as you could hire them and find them? I mean, what did that look like for you? Yeah, it's it, it's been a big challenge. In fact, yesterday we, or maybe the day before yesterday, we turned the service off for the second time and stopped people signing up. Um, that was going to be one of my later up. questions for you. I saw that there's a waiting list. I was like, wow, good problem to have. Yeah, so that's, I mean, we, we have sort of metrics around happiness and response times, and if we're not hitting those, then, then we don't want to sign up any more customers until we sort that out. So we've had a couple of instances where we haven't been able to hire quick enough and or like onboard people to the skill level that's high enough to provide a good service. Um, but it's only happened twice in 19 months. The rest of the time we've managed to kind of battle through. Um, the the biggest challenge for us has been hiring outside of Asia because like we can hire a lot of our guys are in the Philippines and it doesn't cost as much to get good developers there and they're all most of them are like really really good devs. Um, but outside of the Philippines, it's been more difficult. So we've got we've got a developer in Hungary, and we've got one in South America, and um, we're we're going to be hiring more. But it's it's going to mean we're going to have to pay more money and have different processes and things. So so there's yeah, all of that's been. I mean, when I say I was going to say very challenging, but really it's it's just not really very challenging. It's just kind of what we have to do as a business to make sure we can provide the support we we promise. In terms of as you've done that, like what what are some of the systems? Do you guys did you guys build your own infrastructure in terms of you know like a help desk or how tickets come in or questions come in and are using a project management? Yeah, we we just wrote a blog post on all the different tools we use. We use thirty five different pieces of software. I think we spend about twelve or thirteen hundred dollars a month on on SaaS. Um, and the main ones, 
and and I mean we sort of have always had the philosophy that we we will solve problems when we get them. So we went the first I think maybe even six months without even having a help desk, and then we use Help Scout from that point until now, and now we're building our own system which we've just moved our developers onto, which is a system that that um into, that kind of syncs with Help Scout. And it, 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 it more or less, we still use Help Scout as a platform, but but we give our, our developers a different system to log into because it na- enables us to do things that we can't do in Help Scout. And and one example is uh, like a quality assurance process. So like if a developer has got a few negative reviews from customers, we'll make sure that all of their their tasks are checked by a quality assurance team, and then uh, the and then the quality assurance team reply to the customer. So. We don't we don't need that for all developers because a lot of the developers can just reply direct and do a great job. But if they fall below the quality standard that we've set, then we want to put them through that QA process. And that's that's just one of many, many things that we can't do in Help Scout that are sort of really weird little problems that our business has because we sort of sit between being a support company and a development company. And help desks help desks do a good job for support companies, project tools do a good job for development companies, but for anyone in between Neither do a perfect job, so we've just built the bridge between the two. Are you guys going to sell that bridge? <laughs> no, I think I think there's a good chance that eventually that sort of becomes our one of our differentiators because I think there's I think there's a lot of stuff we can do in terms of like prioritizing jobs and like using smart ways of working out how urgent things are or like how satisfied the customer is before they before they kind of indicate their lack of satisfaction. Um, th- things like that to help us do a better job that will be something that will be hard for our cust- our competitors to replicate. So we're gonna. So we're. I'm pretty keen to work on a whole bunch of that sort of stuff. And and I don't know. I don't ever intend on selling it. In terms of kind of setting up these systems and processes, had you had any experience in doing this other than you doing it for your own clients? Um. Yeah. Well, with my last company, I had a, a three or four guys, and and I had. I think at 1.3 developers in the Philippines and a virtual assistant. So I'd, I'd done all of that setting up processes and um, using Google Docs and the system stuff. I, th- that stuff all comes pretty naturally to me. Um, so that's, yeah, that's stuff I enjoy. <laughs> that's good. Well, and then I'm guessing at certain point, so you were pulled out of, so you're not doing any support for clients, right? You're running your company at this point. <laughs> Yeah, well, I never did really because I'm not a I'm not a developer. So I I mean I would I, in the early days I would you know if someone would send something through that that I could answer then I would answer it. But but we have team like team leaders now that sit below me and Alex and well below that's not a very nice word but you know like they actually manage the team. We we don't manage them hands on. Um, we sort of work on projects and tweaking the knobs to make sure that things are happening the way they should happen. But um, yeah, I don't I don't deal directly with clients that much and I, d- I definitely don't do any kind of development work wow i just i've had some because i've got my own team that i work with and some people use them and it, it's challenging in terms of getting all of that streamlined so um that's fantastic with alex now so can you fill us in on when he came on board and then you know at what point did you guys i know you give us a little bit but what did that look like once you guys partnered yeah, I mean, it's it literally was exactly what I said. He said he said he had a couple of months free because he'd moved to the U.S. and he couldn't work because of the, his visa situation. So he he just worked for me for free for two months. Um, after two months, we'd grown by like fifty percent because or something because we we I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but we probably had like twenty or thirty customers when he came on. And when after a couple of months, we probably had fifty or sixty, and it was very clear that it was growing very quickly and that we were going to be you know, have our hands full trying to grow the business. And 
I made the decision, which to me was a very easy decision to basically give him half of the company, um, which maybe to others might seem like a crazy decision, but hopefully to, to, to me, I, I, I knew that I couldn't build it by myself and I didn't really feel like I had that much as a starting point because like, like I only had 20 customers. You can't, you can't really build. Yeah. A you weren't doing customers. a million a month. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was a really good time to, I mean, like now I wouldn't give up equity in the company for anything, but um, at that point it made sense to like go in together. I'd also worked a long time by myself and I'd had enough um, running businesses by myself. So I was excited to, to have a go at doing one with someone else. And he, and he came in and just started doing good work straight away and building the team on the U S side and, um, just kind of hit the ground running. And, and before we know it, we were pretty much running the company together and it was obvious to, to do it formally. God, that's fantastic. So I know you mentioned that some of the, there weren't necessarily challenges, but you know, as you guys have grown this, can you share some of those obstacles and things you've had to address while <laughs> adding 10% every single month? Yeah. The, well, I mean, there have definitely been challenges. Um, the, probably the big ones, the big ones were just the quality of the work. So, so when it was just me and Andrew, uh, Andrew was our first developer and he was with me for two previous companies and he's still our lead developer and he's an awesome dev. And so when it was just me and him, like we, we were supremely confident we could get every single job done to a hundred percent satisfaction. Um, but when it's 35 different people and you don't really have the resources you want, like, like we really need a team leader in every, in every, sort of eight hour time zone like we need one in in asia in europe and in the us which we don't have um so we're always battling with lack of resources but what company isn't um so so yeah the quality is is something that if it dips below um a level that we're not happy with then we we spend a lot of time trying to fix and that's what we're doing at the moment um the response time is sort of a direct relationship with our ability to hire quickly so there's been times where we haven't been able to hire quick enough so that's been a big challenge especially in the u.s in in terms of you said like hiring in the US, do you mean just hiring developers in the US or yeah, that well, time I mean, zone? Yeah, <laughs> part of the problem is is we we, we only charge you know seventy bucks or a hundred bucks a month, and we offer unlimited jobs, so that works if we can afford if we can employ sort of devs that don't cost us too much money. But if we have to employ developers in the US then or in Australia or somewhere, then it's that's not really going to work. So the challenge is, can we employ other people in other time zones? you know, for less than it would cost us in the US or Australia? Or can we structure it in a way where we employ some percentage of our team in those time zones and spend more on those people and probably get a little bit more performance out of them? Um, but ultimately, it's going to put put up the cost, which is which probably means putting up the price. So that's that's the, the debate and the challenge we've had that we continue to have. <laughs> Gosh, I just I can't imagine scaling so quickly. So who is your ideal customer for WP Curve? Um, I, I'm probably, I don't really know. I mean, I, I know that like our customers range a lot. We have like people who don't really have a business. who have just got a blog and that started up. Those people probably tend to use us for a couple of months and leave. So they're probably not the ideal customer, but at the same time, they're also good promoters and they spread the word and they get our name out there and, you know, create a situation where we can have, you know, a hundred people signing up each month. So, um, that's always helpful. And then there's other customers who have like really solid established businesses who don't really need to use us that much, but they've got us on there, you know, once a month they have a problem and they're happy to pay us each month just because they know we're there and they know we do a good job. So they're, they're good customers. Um, and then we have occasionally have larger customers like well-known type of entrepreneurs or like 
uh, we've had a couple of like people, like TV type people, um, and then other people in bigger companies that are, that have like a WordPress blog as part of their bigger company. So I mean, it it ranges, and as long as they're using WordPress and they don't have the technical skills to fix it when it breaks, then then they're a good customer for us. You know, in, in terms, I, I would think too, like have you. With your with your customers and your clients, so it's it's going to be probably that one of those some person some some people like you mentioned, you know they're they're pretty proficient and so they just they want to keep you on they keep paying because they know they only need an hour's worth of work a month and they know it's there and then there are other people that probably use you guys pretty consistently. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So how did you come up if you don't mind me asking in terms of the pricing? Was that kind of a was there a strategy behind coming up with the pricing so that you could, you know, figure out the profitability of everything? Yep. The basic strategy was and I talk I've I've got a book called The Seven Day Startup and I go through a lot of this stuff in the book as well because it's it sort of came out of starting the company. Um but the basic idea is to calculate all of the costs associated with having a customer and then double that, and that's pretty much how I came up with the price. That is like one of the easiest formulas I have ever heard. <laughs> the more detailed answer to that is you make a bunch of assumptions, you write those assumptions down, and then you work out the, the cost, you double it, and then you keep revisiting those assumptions each month. And, and one of the assumptions that we made when I started was that we'd be able to hire developers either in the Philippines or or South America and where it wouldn't cost us that much. And because we've grown so quickly, that has turned out to be more difficult. So that's going to directly affect our ability to earn like a 50% margin and um, will either mean we have to put up our prices or we have to compromise our margin. Um, but that's that's more or less what I do. I work out work out what the assumptions are, write them all down, and then revisit them every month to make sure we haven't like grossly underestimated something. Wow. And just for everybody listening, all the links that, that Dan has mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes as well. And just just one more thing on that. I think there's a, a an easy mistake people make with that, which is to to figure out the hourly rate for a resource and then double that hourly rate or even triple it. And in reality, there's so many other costs that go into providing a service that, that the hourly rate ends up being like you end up being like 10x or something the hourly rate because there's just so many other costs that go into providing that service that that maybe if you haven't provided a service before at scale, you wouldn't you wouldn't sort of understand. Um, so I, I see a lot of people doing like WP Curve for graphic design or WP Curve for conversion optimization. They're still charging um, 70 bucks a month, but they're going to have to employ people for three or four grand a month to do the work. And I think that is just not going to add up eventually because you just it's going to cost you too much to run the service. Can you go? No, I, I totally agree. Can you go a little bit deeper into that? So in terms of like looking at the cost, so I, I, you know, the first thing I thought about is when you were saying you guys spend what, like fifteen hundred a month or thirteen hundred a month on different SaaS products to keep everything running. Yeah, I mean that's a very minor cost. Like we, I've got a, I've got our spreadsheet up at the moment. So our monthly, monthly costs are around forty grand, and they, I mean, the yeah, it's only thirteen hundred of that is software, but most of that is staff. In terms of providing. And, and it's also other stuff like travel and like conferences and like we, we want to do staff events and all that kind of stuff adds up. And then on top of that, you have everything around that, including like the management of the team and the quality assurance guys and, um, you know, the, just, just the, the virtualist, like the two, we've got three full-time assistants, um, one in the US, two in the Philippines, um, all of that kind of stuff that goes into running a service that you, you need to factor in to work out what, what you can price at. The assumption that people always make that they always get wrong no matter what size the company is that as the company grows, 
the calculations and things will stay the same. Like, like you, you kind of assume that, say, if you've got a website company and you've got one developer and you're doing 10 websites a month, everyone pretty much assumes that when you get one more developer, you'll do 20 websites a month. Um, and if you get 10 more developers, you'll do 200 websites a month or, sorry, 1,000 websites a month um, or 200, anyway, whatever it is. It doesn't work like that. And you see that with companies that get funding. You know, they'll get... They'll sort of complain about lack of resources and they're like, oh, we've got this funding because it'll enable us to get resources and they'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on staff, but they won't get hundreds of thousands of dollars more output because as companies get bigger, they just naturally get more complex and you, you, you don't really understand that until you kind of have built it and you, and you realize that it doesn't kind of scale perfectly the way you hoped it would. Are you now at this point where, say, you're projecting, right? Like, we're probably going to need, we needed 10 new developers this month, looks like 15 next month, and... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and do you have a calculation in terms of keeping the cost where it is for the customer? In terms of knowing when we need to hire, we do that based on the response time. So we we assume that if we're not hitting our target response time, then we don't have enough developers. So we hire more developers. That doesn't factor in the cost. That just factors in um, assuming you're running a profitable, scalable service. If the service drops below a certain point, you just need to add more developers to pick it up above that point. The the cost equation is more complex than that, and the way we manage that is I just have a spreadsheet that has all of our assumptions in it and all of the costs, and uh, we constantly revisit that based on our ability to hire. So, f- so, for example, originally when I first started, I thought, you know, we could probably hire guys in South America for somewhat similar rate to what we can hire in the Philippines, and we've hired one or two, but we really can't hire enough, and that directly means that you know, say one in every five developers has to be in the US or has to be in Europe or something, which throws the costs up significantly, which ultimately means we're going to have to put the price up in some way or another. Wow, my head's just sitting here wrapping around all these calculations. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so w- with the um, response time, is that something that you had a, a projection or an expectation? I mean, once you launched this and it started growing, what was what was the guideline for creating those response times? That hasn't really changed. I think I, like what we committed to was um, average response time eight hours and and all jobs done in one day. That's I mean that's that's not a it's not like an agreement where if we don't do that we give a refund. It's more like that's what we're aiming for. And if if we're not hitting an eight hour average response time, then then we take action whether that be to hire more or if we're really far behind, then then we might turn the service off for a couple of days to catch up. Um, in terms of where I came up with that, I'm not really sure. I think I just I just thought it was reasonable if someone requests a job in one day, then it gets done on that day. And I think that's in 24 seven, which means that it doesn't matter where they are in the world that they can they know they can just send a job in and it would be done on that day. I'd like it to be better than that, but it's it's. Again, through lack of resources, it's it's sort of impossible for us to offer 24-7 um, response times around the world in much less time than that because we just don't have – like if we had thousands of people, we could probably figure out a way to do it. But but um, So what, so what t- tends to happen is some people get their jobs done really quickly. Um, some will be urgent and they'll be done straight away. If people get on live chat, they can tell us it's urgent and that we can escalate it. Um, that All that stuff goes on. But then it averages out at about eight hours. Oh, that's a totally reasonable response time. I mean, you know, that's great, considering it'll take you two weeks to get your cable installed or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, that doesn't happen too quickly. So, you know, what I was just thinking of as you're explaining all that is, do you have anybody, and, and this is a total side note question, but do you ever have anybody come in and so maybe they've done a WordPress install and they just submit a bunch of 30-minute jobs to get like a whole site done? 
Yeah, we've so we've got rules around that 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 prevents that from happening. So so one so one is that we we're a support service for existing websites, not for new sites. So if anyone signs up with a new site, then we we give them a refund and tell them to go away. But we also put that on our landing page so that to kind of dissuade people from signing up. And then we also have a a rule where you can only submit one job at a time. So if it takes us a day to do the job, then you know the the most they can really do is like thirty in a month if they're really diligent and they reply and submit a new one every single time. But it would be very very frustrating, and they would quickly get frustrated if they're trying to build a website submitting one job you know every day. Yeah, and I would think too at the same time it's like they'd really have to have a solid understanding of what needs to happen to make that work, right? <laughs> to, to get that yeah. site done. So if they if they understand how to give the directives, they can probably get it done themselves. Um, yeah, I I, I um. We've got a bunch of ideas around that that I think balance between people. Like sometimes people just do have a couple of jobs at a time and it's a bit frustrating to have to do one and then to hold one off and be told you can't submit another one and then submit that later. So I've got a few ideas that we're going to work on to enable people to do that without minimizing you know, our, the thing that kind of prevents people from hacking the service. Yeah, and I would think too because I would guess if they're already in a site and say there's two tasks or that – it might save on on the developer's time as well if they're already in there and doing something and it would only take that's right a, right yeah yeah, yeah. so there be- are situations where if if a client submits like there are situations where it's best for the client and for us for us to do two or three jobs at a time but but the question is i mean the the issue is if we open that up to everyone then then the service probably gets abused um, so we need to find a balance and we've got some ideas that we that we'll probably roll out soon that that, that I think will solve that problem very cool um you know, before we go too much for the WP curve, I want to bring up uh, because also your Facebook group, the content machine, but you, you guys have great content on the blog too, by the way, which it, I apologize when you had mentioned the, um, all the different tools I've been watching those blog posts come in and Trello and <laughs> setting everything up and there's a ton of content. So, and now you write a lot of content as well, correct? Yeah, I did pre prior to hiring Kyle in October last year. Uh, I was doing all the content, and I'd, I'd written all the con- almost all the content for WP Curve and the company before that, and the company before that. And the my first company, I sold all of that with when I sold the company. But when I left that, between then, I think 2012 and now, I think I'd written 600 blog posts or something, and and a book and all sorts of other stuff that that have ended up on our site and all the processes and everything around that to enable someone else to come in and take it over. So Do I've you written, sleep? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I like it. I like doing it. Um, but at the same time, it's not it's not really something I, I can dedicate a full time. Like it's something that we really treat seriously. Like Kyle is one of our first, like I think well, he's only the second – guy in the US or Australia that we've hired and he's the full time on content marketing so it's something we take really seriously but at the same time I, I can't spend my whole day writing blog posts so um, I think yeah well you guys do so so explain to everybody because um, I joined your Facebook group the content machine if you could explain what that is um, that would be great yeah well uh, last the last book I wrote the seven day startup we created a Facebook ambassador group the week before I launched it to I just emailed my list and said, if anyone's keen to be on the ambassador group, you can get a, an early copy of the book and it'd be cool if you left a review on Amazon. And the thing just blew up. Like I had like 300 members within a day or two. And when I launched the book, I had, I think within a week, I had 100 reviews on Amazon and it was number one in startups and 
um, had 13,000 downloads in the first week and it just, it just exploded. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So this content machine is my next book. And I, when I started working on that, I thought I'd put the Facebook group together first and then kind of put some of the content into the group and some of the ideas and do some challenges each week and encourage other people to get involved. And then hopefully when I launch the book that the people in that group will be keen on helping me promote it. Wow. Well, I I would say, I don't know exactly when you had opened that group, but (laughs) the night I joined, I was like, you hit three, 400 members quickly, didn't you? Yeah. The the content machine one we hit, um, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what it's at now. I'll just check. I think it's like 700 or something. And it's only, it's only been a month, I think. That is fantastic. And there's a lot of great conversations going on in there too. Yeah. The seven day startup group has now got 1300 members and the content machine one's got 700. Oh, it's got 685. So yeah, very cool. Wow. So, well, when is content machine coming out? What, what's, when's the book launch? Um, well, I don't know exactly. I haven't written it all yet. So I think I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, when I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, part of it is just like putting things in place to force me to do things. So like I set an I set a goal to do it this year and I set a goal for it to be like selling in the in the category on Amazon and um I, I set a goal to do 12 challenges weekly via the group and so all of those things are going to force me to actually write the damn thing. And I totally do the same thing. I announce webinars and then I have to go plan them. <laughs> yeah. It, it works. It's the writing a book books kind of like with my last book i actually released all the content before i put the book together so and i i did podcast interviews and i gave away guest posts and put them up on medium and all of this sort of stuff even just put stuff on facebook and that was like what i used to kind of drive me to finish the book because i'd be able to because i really like publishing stuff i don't really like sitting there working on something for three hours if i can't publish it at the end um so that's that what is, I, 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 at first I was like, well, what do you mean? I, I totally get it, right? So then you, it was, okay, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I, so I did publish it, and because I was, gonna, I was giving it away for free, I gave the book away for free for the first week, and I'd, I'd always said it was going to be free, so I didn't feel guilty about putting out the content beforehand. So every, every week I'd put out a new blog post, which was like a chapter of the book, and eventually ended up being refined and changed for when we put it in the book, but that was like how I kind of stayed motivated to write the whole thing. Um, with this one... I'm doing a similar thing. I'm not going to put out all the content, but I'm going to do these challenges, which are based around chapters in the book. And then um, when when I launch the book, all of those concepts will be kind of out there. And, and um, yeah, hope, hopefully people will have got something out of the challenges and will download the book and tell their friends about it. Well, you put one in there today. I'm like, okay, I've been meaning to do Hangouts and just offer and share, and it's like game on. <laughs> um, so re- obviously the content machine book is going to be about I guess, content marketing. Can you fill us in a little bit more on sort of the angle or the perspective of the book? There's, there's a couple of things. One is I want to give, I want to like look at what companies, like what companies or what, what blogs have done really well and why they've done really well and give people like a, I don't want to use the word blueprint because it's like overused and it's not really a blueprint, but it's like give something, give people something that's as actionable as it possibly can be that will enable them to create a, a content strategy using that method. So, so for example, the the one last week about creating as much content as possible. There's a lot of blogs out there that have gotten by basically on the idea that they can do more content than everyone else. Um, and I think if if you're that way inclined, then and, and you think that's going to be your point of difference, then I want to give you examples of people who've done that well, and then give you a way of actionably kind of doing it for yourself. So that's part of it. The other part of it is 
just understanding the relationship between content and business. And that's sort of, I think, where our unique position is, where we've started a business that will be a, a million-dollar company by the time this comes out, and we've done it without any advertising. And so it's a it's a proof proof thing, and I think I'm in a good position to teach people about content marketing, having done the content as well as grown the business. Well, huge, hugely valid. <laughs> um, so speaking of with marketing with that, so what, what when you were launching WP Curve or as you guys continue to grow it, I guess it's probably taken a huge life of its own, but was there a marketing strategy? What did you do to get the name and the brand out there initially? No, it's always just been content marketing, um, a little bit of press and word of mouth. Wow, that is fantastic. With the content marketing, are you just talking about blog posts and sharing socially and, and from that perspective? Yeah, um, I've done pretty much every sort of content you can think of but the the content that does the best for us is our like we send a weekly email and we have uh two blog posts a week or thereabouts on our site and that content is normally very long it's normally actionable specific um includes lots of screenshots and uh typically like two or three thousand words um and on on broader sort of concepts like business entrepreneurial type concepts, not just like how to do stuff in WordPress. Um, and that's that's what's gone the best for us. We, we we also had a podcast and I've done video stuff and all sorts of things, but that's that's the content that's worked the best for us. Gosh, I was all excited because I was doing like fifteen hundred word posts. <laughs> well, I did one of the ones I did last week was four and a half thousand words. The one I did on that on the day I did eleven thousand words. Holy but yeah, I'm not moly. sure if anyone read it. <laughs> Have you noticed, speaking of, of, of blog posts and content, in, in terms of commenting, do you see, do you guys get a lot of comments or is it more sharing socially? Where are people engaging most with you? Yeah, this, it, it depends on the type of content, I think. We typically get uh, lots of comments on our monthly reports um, because they, I think people can relate to those and they, like a lot of people will just come in and say, wow, this is great, well done. Or a lot of people will say, you know, give, give advice on different things we're working on. Um, it's a, That's the sort of content that like makes people want to express opinions um and then yeah i'm just i'm just looking through our blog now so we've got one post that we did on mon on tuesday about remote workers where we where kyle chatted to a bunch of people who work remotely and that post is about three or four thousand words and it include 12 different people on their opinions that one's only got four comments but it had over 100 tweets within about 24 hours um so that kind of stuff where like there's other people involved and they end up sharing the content heat and shore shared it like when you get the big influencers to share it those sort of ones end up being like shared on social media more so than commented on um but yeah we have a range the, the trello one we did's got 31 comments like a, a good post for us would get about 50 tweets and about 30 comments wow that's great i cannot wait to read this book so <laughs> i'm like now i've got another book to get um so with uh with wp curve so what's on the horizon what do you guys what's what's coming down the pipes anything you want to share the big change that's happened since we launched is that we now have lots of competitors who've, who range from people who've sort of taken the model to do something completely different through to people who've like literally ripped off every aspect of what we do, including our biopics, our content, our name, and, and you name it. So That always blows me away. I'm like, <laughs> you look it, – it, it's such a poor reflection on them. I'm like, how do you really think you're going to get away with this? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so, so that's – I mean that's not something I worry about that much, but I but the way I think about it is we've enjoyed a, a good 18 month period of not having much competition, and if we don't kind of rise above the competition, then things aren't going to be as easy. So so most of what we're doing now has to do with rising above the competition in terms of 
building a much better team, building like an, a competitive advantage around having a team that is managed, you know, m- is is more productive and more effective than a marketplace because a lot of the marketplace sites are starting to compete with us now. Um, marketplace, so you mean like Envato and stuff, that type of a marketplace? Like um, like uh, Elance, Odesk. Oh, like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's always going to be so, so I mean there's always going to be companies that have full time internal team based in one location. There's always going to be marketplaces that don't have staff that just have contractors that come in and do jobs and. We're going to be somewhere in the middle, and so most of what we do is focused on trying to work out what kind of company we're going to be. Like, are we going to hire direct? Are we going to, you know, pay people per job, or are we going to, you know, open an office somewhere or work 100% remotely? Um, how can we, how can we be different to what other people are doing? And another part of that is branding. So we're going to go through a complete redesign to make sure that our branding looks world class and much better than all the other people that are coming through and copying us. Um, and and the final part of that I think is the system working out how to how to have an advantage with technology in that in the because we've done so many jobs and we've we're kind of 18 months ahead of anyone else who's doing this we're in a unique position to take what we've learned to build it into a system um, that, that only we have so um, they're they're the, probably the three big themes <clears throat> for us but I guess keep growing is the main one that the the thousand customers or a million dollars annual run rate is, has been our main target and that's within reach for the next couple of months I think so that'll be a big milestone and then from there we just need, need to keep keep growing at the rate we're growing I guess. Wow that's fantastic um, kind of a, a side note last question is with what do you think in terms of WordPress and community like where do you see opportunities for, for other businesses not your model <laughs> um, in, in terms of growing a business with WordPress? Well, that's a good question I've got a um I did a presentation at WordCamp. I'm just going to see if I can send you the link because um, I've got the slide share. And, I, and what I did was I broke down – there's like a, a, a little chart where I broke down the different types of businesses you can have in WordPress and which ones I think are the sorts of ones that are good to start if, you, um, if you're in my position, which is you don't have funding, you want to start something quickly, but you also want to build something that's scalable. Um, so I can point you to that. Awesome, um, great. And I will link that in the show notes for everybody listening. Yeah, but but generally, I think I mean the the main thing is just realizing how big the op the opportunity is. I think I think that's the the thing that trips most people up is they don't actually comprehend how big this community and this platform is. Like the the company behind WordPress, Automatic, has I think three hundred something people. They're they're remote as well. Um, they're a billion dollar. They're valued at over a billion dollars. They raised one hundred and sixty million dollars last year, valued at over a billion dollars, and and that's that's not the company they don't own wordpress like they, well, they don't own the wordpress that, it, that we all use that's that's open source but they simply built um services on the back of wordpress and it, it obviously helps that that he owns that he, he started wordpress matt the founder um, but essentially that's a business that is providing services to the wordpress in the wordpress system i guess the point is that there's there's lots and lots of businesses. Automatic is the company that is behind WordPress, and they're a billion dollar uh, valued at a billion dollars, 350 staff. Um, so that that gives people some idea of the size of the opportunity, I think. And there are lots and lots of other companies from hosting companies like WP Engine that are I think are like 10 million dollar plus in revenue. Um, there's companies like Invado, which are I think are similar, um, who do all the like the marketplace you mentioned before, the theme forest and all of that. Theme Forest I read recently was the the most the busiest site owned by an Australian in the world. Really? 
which is phenomenal if you consider that. I mean, that's everything. That's any site in the whole. That, that's according to Alexa, apparently. Well, and considering, um, is, I mean, they've had some theme authors who easily had a million dollars with one theme. Yeah, 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 it's it's insane. Like, like when you, I mean, I, when you try to get your head around the size of the opportunity in WordPress, it is it is insane. So, the, so the main point I would make is is um just understanding how big the opportunity is, and and um yeah, I guess going after something that builds recurring and ongoing value is the the best way to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, I I always see that. I look at stuff and I'm like, you don't need to go do what someone else is doing. Find a need and fill it. <laughs> You know, I like I look at documentation and training. I'm like, there's so many opportunities for people who understand a specific element or can serve a specific customer or market with that. Yeah, it's I mean, business is always difficult because even if you are providing something that people need, you also need to tell people about it and, and you need to convince people that that you're trustworthy and all of those things and all of those like they're all very, very hard things to quantify. Um, there's no blueprint that's going to tell you exactly how to do that. But um yeah, I'm always someone who, who's kind of focused on the opportunity rather than than the opposite. That's great. And so just one last question, and it had nothing to do with WordPress, but is there anything fun you'd like to share with us about yourself that people might not know? Um, I'm trying to start a brewery. Really? <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. What kind of beer? Like like a, you, people can go in or you want to do like micro brews and then people order it? Well, we we did a, a contract brew last year, and we sold that to all the pubs in the area. I'll give you the link to our company. Oh my um, god, that's awesome! But yeah, so we we want to yeah we ideally we'd like to get our own setup. So that's something I'm thinking about at the moment, trying to work out how we can do that. So that's a little bit different to WordPress. <laughs> that is super fun, though. God, you are just seriously. Do you sleep? <laughs> like, yeah. That that's great. God, this has been awesome. My mind is literally reeling down. I'm like, okay, I got to get your book. I want to go read through the blog again. Um, where is the best place for people to connect with you guys? Um, just just whatever place they prefer to connect with people. I'm pretty much everywhere. I'd warn you against following me on Instagram because all you'll get is like just photos of beer. Um, <laughs> but other than that, everywhere. Facebook is probably the best. That's probably where I'm uh, put share the most amount of stuff and and. Um, try to limit the amount of boring stuff I share on there. <laughs> That's great. Well, I will put the site and the social media links will all be in the show notes as well. Thank you again, Dan. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. No worries. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I, I just thought it was a fantastic story. And if you want to connect learn more, follow everything he's doing, which is pretty awesome. Um, of course, you can go to WPCurve.com. And then his Facebook group, Content Machine, uh, you can link to that through the show notes. There are some great challenges and discussions and support in this group on creating content and how you can support and drive business, but but you're really supporting your audience and, and focusing on relationships first. So it was great. Again, check out Dan Norris, WP Curve, and Content Machine. And of course, the book, right? I, I'm, I'm loving, loving, love the book, uh, The Seven Day Startup. So thanks as always for listening. Have a fantastic day. Leave me a comment. And if you haven't already, I would love a review in iTunes. That helps a lot. But I would love a review in iTunes. It just takes a few minutes. Go over to, you know, you can subscribe in iTunes. Um, there is a link on the show note, but just look for the WordPress Chick Podcast. You can search it um, and leave a review. And um, we will be talking soon. <laughs>